This is Eric and Gina, and we're back with the Eat Scripture podcast. And we are going to talk a little bit more topology today mm-hmm. from Exodus. Yep. And um, I guess from Exodus 32 and going forward. Right. We're really jumping a long way in Exodus to get here. Um, and I realize there's a lot of stuff in between, but we can't. The fact is, if we tried to hit all the topology oh, through, yeah. you know, we would just. We'd never move on to anything else, but there are still some some majors that we want to hit on. Um, right. uh, several it's kind places of what we in did in Genesis. Testament. I mean, there's always right. more. Right. We spent okay. more time in Genesis than we will spend anywhere else. Um, but there are some things that are going to be really good for us to hit as we continue and really wind up this uh, typology series that we're on right now. Um, And so we just want to thank everybody for listening to us and for y'all sharing our podcast um, and going and leaving a review if possible. That would be fantastic. So any reviews that you could leave for us would be great because that really helps promote the podcast. Um, And if you'd like to support our ministry and just keep this out there, keep this kind of teaching out there, that would be fantastic. And you can do that really at any level uh, that you like. We'd just love for you to help out in any way you can. You can do that through our donation page on our website. So you can just go to eatscripture.com and look for the donate page and get some specifics on how to do that. Otherwise... I think it's time, yeah, to get started. This is a great, great section, chapter 32 through 34 of Exodus. So take us a couple of sessions to get through this, but it's going to be well worth everybody's time. Okay. As we are entering into this section in 32, now we already know a lot of things have been going on really maybe not maybe not a lot of things um most of these chapters are caught up with one particular subject and that is ever since that we've uh we've arrived at sinai now obviously the ten commandments have been given to the people way back in chapter 20 and then between then and here we've had you know a couple of things take place involving even the leaders of the people going up on the mountain and and eating with in the presence of Yahweh and not being destroyed or anything I mean it's really quite a moment uh, that they're having there and then God and or I'm sorry then Moses and Joshua pull apart from the people and tell the leaders we're going to go up on the mountain with God and uh, this is what Moses tells them, and so Joshua goes up with him. We really don't hear about Joshua being up there with him. I know him. it's really What's weird. It's, yeah, it's like suddenly, is he there? Is oh, he not there? Where yeah, did Joshua, where was he hanging out? Mm-hmm. So, and so then, but while Moses is up there, everything from chapter twenty-five through chapter 31 is all instruction that Moses is receiving about how the tabernacle and the articles that are in the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant itself, are to be made. Everything is very specifically designed and God is giving him extremely specific instructions. And we even see in other contexts that he is seeing a pattern of what things are 
supposed to be constructed like on earth and they're supposed yeah. to be mirroring this pattern that he's seeing in heaven uh, and there's some good stuff in there we're oh, not skipping yes. that because there's not good stuff no we just maybe someday we'll come back and visit that yeah and visit the tabernacle yeah. itself and kind of look at all the right. pieces there and and some of the things that are going on but we feel like maybe it's best for us to, to jump over this of topology yeah exactly so as as we then enter chapter 32 through 34 What's happening here is very interesting because our tabernacle construction and the very specific construction of it is going to keep going from chapter 35 through 40. And they are going to sound almost identical to what we've just been reading in 25 through 31. Almost identical. And so they're kind of, for those to sit on either side with such extremely similar language, points us inward to what's happening in 32 through 34. And 32 32 through 34 is very much a narrative of what's taking place as the people are in the in the wilderness now. Moses is is up on the mountain and the people start, you know, really having a a terrible time. (laughs) To them they're having a good time, but then they're not having a good time all of a sudden uh, because they they, this is where they make the golden calf and then Moses comes down and addresses what's happening. All of this is wrapped up, everything, um, all that narrative is wrapped up in 32 through 34. And this becomes an extremely typological picture for us. This is just married to everything that Jesus is doing and what's happening with his interaction with the people. Believe it or not, this is a very clear Jesus story. And so that's what we're going to walk through here and see as we go. So that last verse in 31 just says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Yes. So that's kind of what sets us up for this chapter. Yes, now we're set up. for He's got the tablets. Now Moses has the tablets, which are the very things that he got up and received all these instructions, including the tablets that God wrote. Yep, God himself, yes, wrote these tablets for him. And these are the ones that he now has in his possession. So then chapter 32 begins. We kind of get a picture of what's going on down below. Uh, Right. It begins with what's happening down on the ground below. And the people are upset. And the reason they're upset and getting antsy is because Moses has been delayed for so long up on the mountain in 32.1. This is how they start out talking. And they are not sure what's happened to Moses. And they make clear to Aaron that they have no idea what must have possibly happened to Moses, the man who brought him up out of the desert. Because look, in that fiery cloud up there, where Moses is on the mountain, oh my goodness, how could a person survive anyway? And Moses has now been up there for 40 days, and they don't know what in the world could have happened to him, but surely nobody could live through that. So so they are asking Aaron now in this first paragraph to make gods for them that they can worship and can go before them. Uh, because that seems like to the people the right thing to do. They don't have Moses uh, yeah. anymore. So and we got to honor this Yahweh. He's so powerful and everything. So make a God for us. Make gods for us that can go ahead of us uh, so that we can praise them. You know, praise him, them, right. however you want to say this. So sure enough, Aaron then takes this graving tool in verse 4, makes a golden calf. And the people... The gold that they, they, they bring them all their rings and jewelry and everything. yes absolutely yeah they're and making it out of their jewelry 
And then it says that the people say, these are the your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They say that in verse 4. Mm-hmm. Aaron builds an altar for it. They are offering sacrifices to it. Verse 7 is where God tells Moses something terrible is going on down there. Mm-hmm. You better get down to those eating people. eating and drinking and it says they rose up to play. Yes. They're having a party. Yes, absolutely. Now, from a typological standpoint, it's important to realize here, okay, this is the people now who have, this is the people in Jesus's day, Israel, Mm -hmm. who has waited a very long time for their savior slash Messiah to come. And they are dismayed now that it's taken so long and they're starting to do things that they shouldn't and starting to be involved in the world in a way they shouldn't and to be led astray by foreign philosophies, foreign ideas, foreign gods in a way that they that. should exactly sound <laughs> sound so different than what we would react, how we would react today. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's people the way people have always been. And so this is, and this is what's going to happen to Israel. This is a precursor for them of what's going to happen in the future when they get wrapped up with the world and start um, before God's Savior Messiah has come to them, and they will start wondering why it's taken so long, and they will start mm, fooling around with committing adultery with, if you will, right. uh, the idols of the world and, and the gods of the world. They've just reverted back to kind of what they were doing in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're still, I think they are still calling this mm-hmm. their God Yahweh, but yeah, they're making images and doing things they're not supposed to do. Yes. And, and even the priesthood is going along with it right. here. Even Aaron I mean, is going Aaron along with it. Like to, yep. Really into it. Right. Well, sure enough, we find out in Jesus's day that the priesthood has become just as enmeshed in the politics of the world and the ways of the world as the people themselves have. It's not like they've stayed close to Yahweh. They too have have done things that have completely gone off track from where Yahweh wants them to be. So Aaron's just right in the mix here with them uh, becoming very much a picture of that. But then Moses uh, is spoken to by God and God says, you better go down and see about what's happening down there. The people have gone completely astray. Verse eight, they have turned aside and quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So Moses decides to go down. Moses does go down to the people, people, but he even starts... Uh, before he goes down, um, by, by when he says he'll go down, the Lord um, says to him that in verse 10, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. That's the first thing he always says. Yeah. Look how evil they are down there. You know what? I'm just going to destroy them and start, start over, over with you, yeah. Moses. To which Moses says in verse 11, and here's where it gets interesting. So I think we ought to read verse 11 through 14 because this is great to watch as Moses begins as a savior that God has brought. Mm -hmm. Moses begins interceding on an an evil people's behalf, on a sinful people's behalf. So verse 11 through 14. But Moses implored implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, 
With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Oh, wow. And the Lord relented from the disaster because Moses interceded. Moses, here's God saying, I'm ready to consume him. I'm just going to start over with you. Moses jumps in, this savior of the people that God has, has designated, jumps in and says, let me, uh, let me go down there and see about them, but please don't kill them. Remember the ones you've made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, remember your promises. And, remember, and, and yes, you're doing this for your name's sake. That's right. Yeah. We don't want your name to be sullied. Yes. By this. Align, maligned among the nations. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians get to say it was with evil intent that Yahweh, their God, brought them out uh, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? You know, that's what they'd say. Oh, yeah, they were a bad people. See, their own God doesn't even doesn't even want to deal with them. He's he just took just, them away yep, from here to kill them. So that he could kill them. Yep. So why? But Moses says, you've, you've promised to this people, it will glorify you more. Your name will be lifted up more if you will keep this people, keep your promises to their forefathers. And, you know, let's please work through them somehow. And so sure enough, the Lord relents from his desire to consume them. Interesting passage because uh, the question always comes up. Does God change his mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Because we pray. Yeah, this is one of those major passages that that comes out of right here. I think part of what we miss is that this is a type. Yes, is that it's a type. I think you're right. This is what Jesus does on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The story doesn't have to be all about whether or not God changes his mind because it's really telling us what it's really telling us in language we can understand is that our savior is going to intercede for us right. it is he about intercedes that. not based on any good righteousness from our behalf, on, on our, our behalf, behalf yeah but on the character of god mm-hmm. yes and his promises yes and exactly that's what jesus does hundred percent, I think. I love and so this picture if here. we can so if we can jump over that question about whether or not god changes his mind which is Again, one of those questions is going to hang out there forever. Right. We'll never get to a real hard, fast answer right. on that one and see through it. Like you're saying, the type that's really, what it's really telling us what it's going to be like when Jesus comes, what we deserve is death, but what he will do is intercede for us. And it will be on God's character, everything based on God's character that God forgives us right. and we move forward, which is right. a great, great emphasis to make here. And it's then that Moses now, because he's heard from God and God has has uh, relented from his desire to just consume everybody, now Moses actually comes down to the people to address. He, so he's coming from God's presence down to the people. Right. Now. And so he's now that he comes... down and he, he runs into Joshua. Here. Yeah. He brings the law with him. And as he's coming down, yes, he runs into this I mean, Joshua, Joshua again now appears. Him, huh? uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of out of nowhere and hey I hear something going on down in the camp there sounds like they're at war 
And Moses says, uh, it's not war that you hear. It sounds like singing. It's actually a big party yeah. that they're uh, having down there, which they shouldn't be having. The kind of party that you should not have. Uh, and so whenever he comes and he sees the people with the calf and all the dancing taking place in verse 19, that's when Moses' anger burns hot. He yeah, uses similar word. words that yeah. we've heard about God. So Moses kind of takes on God's character in a sense as he gets angry with the people uh, for what they're doing he throws the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain it says in verse 19 there are actually rabbis who say this was the greatest thing Moses ever did for the people was to break the tablets because when he broke the tablets he took their sin on himself Whether he whether that's exactly what he meant to do or not, when you break these were written by God. They were written by God's His hand. Finger, yes. yes, and it made a point to tell yeah. us that. So when Moses broke them, this could be a easily be a stoning offense. Um, easily be something that would be justifiable. You broke something God gave. It's a gift from God, and you broke it. So they're the ones who broke the law. The people are, and then Moses. Literally the <laughs> broke the law. And so in doing so, he has taken on their unrighteousness. The, the one who's come to intercede has taken their unrighteousness on himself. Now, rabbis who don't, who before Jesus, were already saying, and certainly through the ages, uh, have, have said that this was the greatest thing that Moses ever did for his people. Kind of to take redirected yeah. God's anger toward him. Toward himself. In a way. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's really amazing. Really amazing when we see him as a Christ type in that way. So once he's taken uh, once he's taken this on himself, throwing the tablets out of his hand, he takes the calf and he burns it with fire, grinds it to powder in verse 20, and forces and puts it in water and forces all the people to drink it. Now that is one strange thing to say. Yeah. What in the world are we supposed to take? from that crazy act right there what was he meaning to do he was really angry that's what i take yeah i do think we're gonna have a couple of clues here as to what's really going on but we're gonna have to let the bible interpret itself to get there so then we go into the next paragraph obviously moses is uh still upset with the people he's talking to aaron maybe we should read from 21 to 24 and kind of see how this goes and moses said to aaron What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of of my Lord burn hot. Such, uh, okay, I'm just going to say that. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the furnace, in the fire. And out came this calf. Oh my goodness. There is no... uh, First you expect maybe he will do right by the people and try to give 
some sort of explanation that is justifiable or something, which maybe he's kind of trying to do that. But like you've told me before, what he really winds up doing is throwing the people under the bus. Yeah, I mean, it's awful. Yeah. So I think it's interesting the contrast between his trying to intercede Mm -hmm. and how Moses interceded. Yes, right. Because he's like... It's all based on, and he just, he ends up throwing them under the bus, like you said. I mean, the people aren't, aren't doing this right, but I'm going to save my skin. Yeah. Yeah. They gave it to me. I just threw that stuff in the fire and out out came this calf. calf. Oh my goodness. Please. Yes. Uh, Like you've said, he had, he was the one with the engraving, engraving tool in his hand. uh, When we already, we already saw that. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's so crazy. But um, but as compared to Moses's mm-hmm. intercession, mm-hmm. he it's all based on God's character. Yeah, and Moses. So is. Yeah, Aaron exactly. had nowhere to go because right. he was basing it on the people's character. Right, exactly. Of course, he wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, uh, and so he says, "Out it came," and of course, Moses knows the ridiculousness of this for sure. The fact is Moses has come down from the mountain, seen the people going crazy, is starting to address the issue, comes to the priesthood represented by Aaron and says, how could you let this happen? To which he, from which he gets a very lame, lame excuse and a blame of the people. I didn't do anything. I don't know what these people, you know how they are. So surely we're still here in the Christ type Mm -hmm. as we walk through here. Yeah, very much. And then Moses, he he is addressing the people. He can see that they broke broken loose, as it says in the ESV in verse 25. And then it even has in the ESV a nice little parenthetical message to let us know that Aaron was the one who let them break loose. I mean, it's not like Aaron has gotten off the hook here. Uh, We can tell he's the one who's allowed everybody to go crazy. Again, a representative of the priesthood. And that's when Moses asks anyone who's still on Yahweh's side in verse 26, come to me, come to me. And so those who are on Yahweh's side, it turns out, are the the Levites, the Levites who are the sons of Levi. These are the ones who rally to Moses as the ones who are still on Yahweh's side. And so Moses sets, gives them a task, go throughout the camp, each of you, and kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And it says in verse 28, the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell in verse 28. And this is how the Levites get chosen to be ordained as a priesthood. Yeah, these are the it's men who are truly close to God. Yes, so to... strange. And if all it's the people shocking, were like all of a sudden, what are you doing? Very shocking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And if all the people were involved in this, which seems to be the implication up till this point, why are only three thousand dying? We have to ask that question too. I mean, we're talking about millions of people, and and, and how they so choose who got who died? Yes, how did they choose who died? Exactly. Well. Back to that little uh, piece that we read before about what Moses did with this idol. Verse 20, he actually ground it up. Remember, he burned it with fire. Then he ground it into powder. Then he stirred it in the water and made the people drink it. 
this does not sound yes very strange indeed this does not at all sound unlike numbers 5 16 through 22 where we have a test for adultery uh, that can be given to a woman to find out whether or not she has been unfaithful to her husband where Another there's very strange story. a very strange <laughs> very strange story it sounds almost like witch doctorish you know to us uh, but it involved taking dust from the floor of the tabernacle putting it in water mixing it and then forcing the woman to drink it and if her belly distended if she became swollen then we knew that she had committed adultery then they would know that she had committed adultery against her husband Mm -hmm. this is how they knew Mm -hmm. okay now back to this well what's this passage really about it's about adultery it is it is about adultery it's about the people who have now already sworn into covenant with god sworn into covenant with yahweh back in chapter 20 they've made a covenant so they're in marriage they are united with him they are connected right. to him but now yes. they know all the law they know the big 10 they've already gone over them with moses back in chapter 20 they know not to make a graven image and yet this is the very thing that they do and it's the very thing they start having it's this it's yes adultery with they are committing adultery relationships with with this graven image this right. idol right yep and so, and this idol, by the way, this calf, they called it Yahweh. So don't right. think they were, it wasn't like, as if they had made a calf and called it by another God's name. No, they just made a calf and said, there's Yahweh right there. The very thing he told them not to do back, one of the very things he told them not to do back right. in chapter 20. And so this itself is adultery to, to be associating with this calf in this way, um, completely adultery. And so... The idea is probably that the Levites were around and they found about 3,000 people who had uh, who had committed adultery in a very obvious way, you know, been instigators. Who knows what it is in this whole process of being led astray from Yahweh. These were the big offenders, if you will. And they knew because their bellies were distended. And so this was the test for adultery. These are the adulterers and these are the ones we kill. I mean, this could, yeah, yeah. yeah, This is as close as we get in the Bible to having a good understanding of how the Levites knew who it was they were supposed to slay. And, uh, and so the other piece that's in here is that it happens to be about 3000 men. Right. And as you said, there's probably about 3 million people. So why are these why the 3,000 get singled out? Well, the number becomes very interesting to us because we go forward to Acts 2.41. In Acts 2, we are at the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is when uh, the Spirit falls and the church is, is empowered by God to be the church in the world, be Christ's body in the world, and to go about His mission of leading people to Him. And it says on that very first day that about three, that Pentecost, that about 3,000 people were saved. Right. That about 3,000 people were saved. I love this because this is even, this is Pentecost. Yes. That's the crazy part. This event right here when the law is being given to the people, that's when they started celebrating what we call Pentecost today as a yearly celebration of receiving the law from God at Sinai. And and certainly also as a 
harvest time, right. you know, uh, celebration yes. as well. But they, it all, like you're saying, it all traces right back to this passage about them receiving the law. This is the, you know, in essence, first Pentecost. That's how the Jews understand this passage. This is the first Pentecost. Right. And so for it to be on that day, the 3,000 were died. saved, not 3,000. Yeah, 3,000 died on the first Pentecost. And then whenever the spirit fell, 3,000 are saved. Oh, come on. Come on. It's just too pretty the way it works together. And so here we have um, this initial type of what's going to happen later on, where we have God, the ones who are true to God are called to him by the Savior, and then they are given the task of going out into this great mass of people and separating those who are true to Yahweh and those who are adulterers from Yahweh and, and you know, dealing with the Seems problem like there. like here it's in a more of a judgment Judgment, negative way, type. But yep. our task after Jesus uh-huh. is to go out and give the message of life. Salvation and life. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely right. Wow. Grace. Yeah. Now, there's a whole lot more pieces that we're going to keep going through as we go through here, but I think this would be a good place for us to, oh, okay. to yeah. bring it to a close. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> so we may have one or two more of these, uh, I think probably two, uh, as we keep going yeah, through this particular part. But yes, we've got these three chapters here and there's so much here. So um, already you can see this is just amazing what we're seeing here and how closely it ties to. The Bible to, is not boring. No. There's lots of drama here. Yeah. Lots of drama (laughs) and everything pointing to Jesus. And uh, wow, boy, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so glad. So we're really glad to be doing this with y'all. Glad to have you tuning in. Thank you for passing it along. And um, every time we do this, I'm just more and more. It just makes me so thankful Mm -hmm. for Jesus and who he is Mm -hmm. and what he does for us. And boy, I agree. Exceptions. No, it is definitely not. Well, it's been great talking to y'all, and we will go into chapter 33 next time as we keep going uh, in this little passage. So, God bless you all. Have a great few days.